Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. The driver in Tuesday's attack came to the U.S. seven years ago through a lottery program intended to diversify the country. Sounds nice, the president said. It is not nice. It is not good. It's Thursday, November 2nd. Michael Schwartz. Give us the profile of this attacker that you're starting to put together, Saifullo Saipov. What do we know about him, and when did he come to the U.S.? We know that he arrived in the United States. Uh, he arrived through JFK in 2010. He had won the green card lottery, which gave him automatic uh, permanent residence in the United States. Before that, uh, he had worked at a hotel in his hometown of Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. He uh, had finished a financial college there grew up in that town. And as far as we know from the Uzbek government, he lived a fairly quiet life, stayed out of trouble, didn't have a criminal record, never raised any suspicions. And what do we know about his life when he first arrived? We know that he started setting out to get a job. He made his way to Ohio, to a a town called Stowe, Mm -hmm. where he uh, set himself up as a truck driver and got linked up with the local Uzbek population. There's a large Uzbek population in Stowe. He went to mosque on Fridays, was a member of the community. He got married there. You know, somebody described him as uh, an average guy. He didn't stand out in many ways, other than the fact that he seems to have had quite a quick temper, which everybody described. He was very argumentative at gatherings at the mosque. Hmm. You know, people describe the mosque environment as a place where people debated politics all the time, but it was always civil. Not with him. He would get frustrated. He would get angry. And people knew kind of not to cross his temper. Michael, you mentioned a large population of Uzbeks in this part of Ohio. What do we need to know about that community in the U.S.? I don't know a a whole lot about that community in the United States. Uzbekistan is a pretty repressive former Soviet country. It is also uh, incredibly poor, probably one of the most oppressive and most closed former Soviet countries. Mm -hmm. And like many other countries that are oppressive, where there are limited jobs, you know, people leave and, and look for greener pastures. And that's the same, I think, with the Uzbek community in the United States. They come here, look for jobs. There are very many who drive trucks. That seems to be a profession that hmm. has uh, become popular among this population. Hmm. And is Uzbekistan a Muslim-majority country? 
Yes, yes, it is a Muslim-majority country. The, the government is very, very attentive to how people are practicing their religion. Mm-hmm. They are very, very attentive to any signs of possible extremism in the country. And they move very quickly and aggressively to stamp that out. This has led, also led people who would chafe under that kind of environment to, uh, to leave the country. But most people, it should be pointed out, most people described Saipov as perhaps moderately Islamic. Mm. Uh, the Uzbek government seemed to suggest that uh, any radicalization that might have happened with him would have happened in the United States. Interesting. But even his friends in Ohio, from when he first arrived here, described him as not even a very attentive Muslim. He would show mm. up late for Friday prayers. He expressed kind of a rudimentary understanding of the Quran, And so very few people, at least early on in his time, in uh, the United States, suspected that he was following a more extremist path. Well, Michael, you met a mosque leader who encountered Saipov in Ohio, who did worry that he was starting to change, right? Yes, it seems that Saipov's character began to change. And I spoke to an individual who would be named only as Abdul because he didn't want to attract attention mm-hmm. from, from other extremists who had met Saipov in Ohio. They had mutual friends. Abdul was present at Saipov's wedding. Mm-hmm. And eventually Saipov moved down to Florida and the two worked together down there, also in the trucking business. But this man was also a preacher at the local mosque where Saipov attended prayers. And at some point, Abdul began to notice a change in Saipov and, and told me that he worried that he was following this path toward extremism and tried to ward him off from that. He says he tried to tell him to read more books, to stop expressing his opinions so loudly, and to study the religion before passing judgment on others. He did note that Saipov seemed to be overly obsessed with the trappings of Islam, the hmm. beard, the ankle-high pants, and not as much with the substance. Was he doing trucking up until Tuesday, do we know? He was involved in trucking, but he had also started working as an Uber driver. Hmm. And Uber says that he passed all of the background checks that they make their drivers go through. There was some uh, evidence that perhaps his trucking business was not going as well as he had hoped. He had also, uh, someone had told me, been talking about moving back to Uzbekistan, and this was in the last few months. He would tell people that he was bored living here, he was tired, he couldn't make any money here, and was planning to move back, Hmm. but obviously that didn't come to pass. Have you heard anything in your reporting that suggests anything at all about what might have taken someone who arrived in the United States eager to leave a repressive home country and who bore no evidence of radicalization, how he gets to a point where he wants to leave the U.S. and then, of course, does what he does on Tuesday in Lower Manhattan. That's one of the big mysteries, and I think it's still an unanswered question. You know, how does somebody get radicalized? How did he get radicalized? So far, you know, we've been digging and haven't found a clear break in his life where things were going in one direction and then moved radically in another direction. You know, there's there's a clue, you know, in, in something that Abdullah, the preacher uh, at the mosque in Tampa, told me. He complained about his young adherents spending more time studying Islam on the internet than in mosque learning from their religious elders. You know, we do know now that Saipov was influenced by the Islamic State. He, he left a note basically expressing 
expressing an allegiance to the Islamic State. Mm. He shouted, uh, Allahu Akbar, God is great, in the midst of the attack. And the attack itself seemed to echo instructions Mm -hmm. that have been made available by ISIS in its publications, calling on people to carry out these kinds of technically easy and feasible attacks that a lone wolf attacker can carry out by themselves without any instruction. And he seems to have latched on to that. And when and how that happened, I think we're still trying to figure out. Michael, we've talked a lot on this show about the profile of a second-generation American who grows disillusioned for some reason and radicalizes and carries out an attack. That's not, it seems, what we're talking about here, though. This is somebody who, you know, when I asked people who know him, what he came to the United States for, why he applied to the green card lottery, what he hoped to get out of it. And and everybody said money. You know, he wanted a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't somebody who was looking for some kind of religious freedom. It wasn't somebody who was escaping some kind of political oppression. And in many ways, he was well off at home. Hmm. And why he would then come here for, for purely it seems anyway at this point, kind of material gains and, you know, so change his modus operandi is very, very mysterious. Michael Schwartz, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more. Peter Baker, we've learned that Sayupov, the driver in the lower Manhattan terror attack, came to the United States through a kind of lottery system for green cards. What is that system? Well, it's called the Diversity Lottery Program. It was installed as part of a legislation passed in 1990 by bipartisan majorities in both houses of Congress and signed into law by President George Bush. I am honored and pleased uh, to sign into law the Immigration Act of 1990. And it set up 50,000 visas set aside for countries that are underrepresented. It sounds genuinely like winning a lottery. You apply and your odds seem incredibly low given that number 50,000. But if you're chosen, you suddenly have a life in the United States. That's right. In fact, about 14 million people, I think, applied last wow. year. So think about that, 50,000 out of 14 million. Now, only about 5% of the people who get green cards every year come in through this program. But we have about a million people come into the country legally on green cards each year. So it's only a small part of it. But it, this has been a subject of controversy for some time mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it seems to be random as opposed to targeted. It seems to be uh, about whoever happens to mm-hmm. be picked out of a drawer, you know, out of, a, out of a drawing hat or something like that. It's not quite like that, but that's sort of the impression that people get. And because of that, you know, you have people like the president say, I want a merit-based system. And now, 
our system has a variety of different immigration programs. Some of them are based on job skills, education, things you might bring of value to the country. Some of them are based on family connections. The question for the debate is, you know, what balance do you want to have, if any, between these two ideals, the ideal of, you know, welcoming people who will support the economic and, and cultural system that we have here and those who are welcome because they fit the sort of Statue of Liberty model of you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched. Right. I'm struck that this program started before we were thinking about terrorism the way we think about it now. At the time, perhaps, the idea of randomness seemed appealing and important and maybe kind of beautiful, whereas now it could seem menacing. Well, at the time, the motive, as I understand it, was really to make sure we weren't just taking people from Ireland. I mean, we had Senator Ted Kennedy in the legislation in 1990 managed to put in a quota specifically just for Irish immigrants. And it seemed like to a lot of people, wait a second, how come they're the only ones who are going to get in? We better do something else to make sure hmm. we get others. It's wrong that countries like Poland or Nigeria can't get almost any immigrants into this country. And the diversity uh, interests that we've, we've in incorporated are really very beneficial. But that's why they they called it a diversity visa program so that it was diverse, not just the Irish. And it was bipartisan. Good bipartisan cooperation. And I don't think anybody thought we were going to get a bill that was as reasonable, sensible, and, and as good as this one. It wasn't something that was uh, a big controversy. Uh, and in the light of day today, obviously, it might look different. And we start with a Fox News alert on the deadly terror attack in lower Manhattan. The diversity visa lottery program allowed the suspect to enter the United States. Diversity lottery. Oh. How has President Trump talked about this program? And was he talking about it that way prior to Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, he has mentioned it before, but it's, it's in the context of a larger piece of legislation that's been proposed and that he has embraced called the RAISE Act. Broadly, his message is merit-based system, not who you happen to be related to, not luck. And so from his point of view, the, the, the very word lottery is what seems anathema to him. I'm going to ask Congress to immediately initiate work to get rid of this program. He also pointed out, you know, he was asked, or he actually wouldn't ask, he just sort of volunteered that, you know, uh, that obviously the title diversity sounds good. He says it's not good. It's not good. It hasn't been good. We've been against it. You know, he was trying to make the point that political correctness, in his view, has overtaken, you know, a rationalized basis for who we let into the country. So he would get rid of both the lottery system, which is a very small fraction of people yeah. brought into the U.S., but also the more significant immigration system here, which prioritizes family over yes. merit. Yes, he called it chain migration. And the idea is I get in and then I bring my brother in and he brings in his family and they bring in their cousins and so forth and so on. And he said that this man that came in, this fellow arrested in New York yesterday had brought in 23 people or at least tried to bring in 23 people since he got here. And that's not acceptable. So we want to get rid of chain migration. We don't know that to be the case because, in fact, under this diversity lottery, you would not normally be entitled to bring in anybody other than your spouse and kids. So that seems unlikely that he was actually able to do that. Broadly, though, there are immigrants who have naturalized, become U.S. citizens, and do have the ability, because they are citizens at that point, to reach out and sponsor others to come here through the immigration system. That's the part of the system he would largely get rid of or at least reduce. Okay. So how do you make sense of the president saying do away with this lottery system in relation to the travel ban and maybe even the wall in Mexico? Is President Trump trying to plug all the various holes in our immigration system that bring people into this country that he sees as unwanted and a threat? Yeah, that's right. You have to put this all together. Build that wall. 
Build that wall. There's the wall on the Mexican border. Build that wall. There is the travel ban on certain select countries. I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. There is cutting the number of refugees that come into this country down to 45,000. It's the third try at the travel ban. This calls for indefinitely banning travel for most people from Iran, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Chad, and North Korea. Iraqis will also face increased security. There is this RAISE Act. The RAISE Act. R-A-I-S-E. That would cut legal immigration in half. The RAISE Act will reduce poverty increase wages, and save taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. It will do this by changing the way the United States issues green cards to nationals from other countries. And there is this talk today about, you know, this diversity lottery program being eliminated. I am today starting the process of terminating the diversity lottery program. In all these ways, he's trying to basically raise the walls, figuratively and literally, to this country, both legal and illegal. And that's both on the basis of national security, so uh, as he put it today, but also on the economic basis, the idea that people coming into this country are taking jobs. Now, opponents, his critics would say it's the opposite, that in fact, immigrants are good for the economy, that they take jobs that otherwise wouldn't be filled. And without immigration, it's going to be hard to grow the economy as fast as the president wants to. Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's great talking. Here's what else you need to know today. On Wednesday, the FBI filed federal charges against Saifullah Saipov. In the criminal complaint, officials say Saipov began planning the attack a year ago, drew inspiration from ISIS videos, and chose Halloween for the attack because he believed there would be more people on the street. Saipov was interviewed by investigators in a Manhattan hospital after being shot by a police officer following the attack. And... Today we mourn the horrifying terrorist attack in New York City, just blocks away from the site of the World Trade Center. During a cabinet meeting at the White House on Wednesday, President Trump offered his condolences to the families of the eight people killed in the attack. All of America is praying and grieving for the families who lost their precious loved ones. Horrible act. And denounced the current U.S. system for punishing such acts. We need quick justice and we need strong justice. Much quicker and much stronger than we have right now. Because what we have right now is a joke and it's a laughing stock. And no wonder so much of this stuff takes place. Trump was asked if he would consider transferring Saipov from the civilian courts into the military system at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, set up after the September 11th attacks. I would certainly consider that. Send him to Gitmo. I would certainly consider that, yes. No one arrested on American soil has ever been sent to Guantanamo Bay. And it's not at all clear that the president is taking the idea seriously given that the comment was not part of his prepared remarks. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. 
the bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.